Please be seated for our Bible reading. The reading is taken from Paul's first letter to the Christians at Corinth, beginning at uh, chapter 3, verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think that you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast about human leaders, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Think of us in this way as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they should be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. That your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stephen Cottrell the Archbishop of York, in one of his recent books, tells the story of the 19th century composer Anton Bruckner and his unfinished Ninth Symphony. Bruckner always intended that this Ninth Symphony would be, if you like, a summation of his life's work, dedicated in his own words to dearest God, but he died before it was finished. His friends, when looking through all of his work found that he'd completed the first three movements. But when it came to the final fourth movement, they found some completed sections and other partial fragments. But crucially, they never found nothing to do with the ending of that fourth movement, which he always intended would be this triumphant hallelujah in a hymn of praise to God. It's meant over the years that 
most orchestras have only played the first three movements of the symphony. Although some composers have cleverly tried to adapt the symphony to make a fourth movement. But I wonder what would be the best way? What would be the best way to go about constructing that fourth movement? Would it not be for a group of experienced musicians and scholars who knew and loved Bruckner's work and who could immerse themselves in that ninth symphony and those first three movements? Would it not be for them to then, through looking at those first three movements, to then make the fourth movement from their knowledge of all that Bruckner had written before? In so doing, the final movement would be consistent with what is already written, but at the same time, entirely new. The task facing the orchestra of the church is exactly that. It's comparable to writing this fourth movement of the symphony, this time of God's love, as we see in this book. You see, we're given the first three movements, if you like, the first part, the story of God's love in the Old Testament, the second part, the central part of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Gospels of his life, and the third movement in the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church in the rest of the New Testament. And the challenge for the orchestra of the church ever since and today is to immerse themselves in those first three movements, to remain faithful to them and from their knowledge of God, if you like, produce the fourth movement of the symphony of God's love that we can sing as a new hymn of praise to God. Challenge for each one of us as the orchestra of the church here is to immerse ourselves in those first three movements. To know ourselves how to remain faithful to them and from our knowledge of God produce that fourth movement of the symphony of God's love in our homes, with our friends and family, in our workplaces, which we can sing as a new song of praise to dearest God. When we actually think about it, it's an awesome responsibility and a humbling privilege to play out that unfinished symphony of the fourth movement of the Bible. How do we go about it? How do we go about it in a world that we see just faces crippling challenges? That we see repeated over and over again on our screens. Our struggles to live with a global pandemic growing refugee crisis, now with a fear of global terrorism, the disaster of climate change, the soaring mental health crisis, not to mention when many of us in the orchestra know less and less of the first three movements of God's love, so we struggle to know the notes to play, to bring God's sweet melody to an anxious, fearful and lost world. Well, there is hope. You see, within the middle of this morning's Bible reading, there's a word. A word which gives us a framework, if you like, to play that symphony. 
to play that symphony of God's love in today's world. It's a word that we're going to hear quite a bit over these next three months as I've reflected over the summer of these teaching series that we're going to look at through the late summer and autumn season. It's the word to be a steward. Think of us in this way as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. See, in the Greek, the word we translate steward is oikonomos. It actually comes from two separate Greek words, one meaning house or dwelling, the other meaning law. The idea being that a steward, an oikonomos, was, if you like in those days, a house or an estate manager. And it was someone who was often a slave himself who'd be given responsibility over the household by his master. He would receive daily instructions by his master and then see that they would be carried out. All of his master's resources would be available to him. But he would be accountable for the way he used them within the household. But let's move that into the 21st century because today we live in a world where slavery should be seen as abhorrent. And few of us uh, maybe have a household manager. So is there perhaps a better example that we can think of today of what it would mean to be a steward, which remains faithful to its original context, but which could be understood perhaps in a new generation? I think there is. It's an example many of us will be highly familiar with, I'm sure. But perhaps it's changed a bit over the last 18 months. Of when you might visit a doctor and the doctor may prescribe something for you. And then you would hand that prescription into the pharmacist. And then it's the pharmacist's responsibility to make up the prescription as prescribed by the doctor and give it to the patient. Well, in the same way as stewards, think of that image of the pharmacist. Because that's what we're called to be. Charged, if you like, by God the doctor to dispense the love of Jesus Christ as written in the prescription of the Bible. And to to a world more desperate, in more desperate need of salvation from the condition of our sin than ever before. And what we could say today, if you like, in today's Bible reading, if you like, is a prescription we're given. A prescription we're given of three ways that, if you like, we can just dispense. This unfinished symphony of God's love. This unfinished symphony of the fourth movement of the Bible, of being a steward of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Well, firstly, we read that a steward of Jesus Christ dispenses the love of God by learning the wisdom of God. Why? Because, well, we saw some of those benefits, didn't we, as we read that first psalm together. Happy are those whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season and their leaves do not wither. In the words of the psalmist, we're given, aren't we, just these beautiful poetic language, a description. A 
of the sweet melody of what it looks like to be the steward, to be the pharmacist that's learning and dispensing the wisdom of God. It's a melody which comes when we dispense the prescription of dearest Dr. God by meditating daily and repeatedly on his word. Why do we do it? Because as we read in verse 18, so we do not deceive ourselves. It's very easy to deceive ourselves, isn't it? And it's very sad when it happens. And the ones who think they're not likely to deceive themselves are the very ones who are about to do so. You know, when you read the whole of this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, it's clear that this error of being deceived by the, if you like, the puffed up wisdom of the then Hellenistic world was evident throughout the church. So what Paul does in this passage is he uses some rhetoric from the great ancient Greek philosopher Socrates to make his point. If you think you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. In Socrates' language, what he said was, become a fool to become wise. Admit how little you know in order that you may begin to learn. And then what follows in these next five verses of chapter three, firstly in verses 19 to 20, he just, Paul just expands on that statement that he's made. Become a fool to become wise. And then in verses 21 to 23, he broadens it to warn of the dangers that each one of us can face of being deceived by human leaders, including, sadly, church leaders. And you can look at those verses in your own time afterwards. It's a warning to us. And it's quite a challenge, isn't it? When we see ourselves today, And where we find ourselves today through the wisdom of the world. It's why over these next few months we'll try to get to grips with some of the bigger issues. Of how we live out and play that symphony of God's love as a steward of Jesus Christ. By dealing with some real issues. What does it mean? to be a steward of Jesus Christ in terms of our evangelism today, of what it means to take responsibility ourselves to prevent and overcome viruses that are designed to attack our faith, for knowing how to deal with the thorny issue of almost the last thing that's ever converted in any Christian's life, their wallet or their purse. And what does it mean as a Christian to take care of God's earth? You see, a steward of Jesus Christ dispenses the symphony of God's love by learning the wisdom of God, by not being deceived and almost admitting our foolishness, our ignorance, in order that that is the basis on which we then start to become wise in God's eyes. And when we do that, we will play out the sweet melody of the fourth movement of the symphony of God's love. Here's the second way we do it. You see, a steward of Jesus Christ dispenses the love of God 
by, we read, living faithfully to the mysteries of God in a trustworthy manner. You see, what are the mysteries of God? It's simply this. The secret wisdom of God revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the mystery of knowing that God is with us, that he loves us, that God, if you like, is for us, that he's on our side, that God pursues us, that he comes after each one of us and that God never gives up on each one of us. He's relentless and living that out in our lives day by day. Yet as Tim Keller recently has noted, the so-called wisdom of the world that we find ourselves living with at the present is described in this way, as thinking the only thing we need salvation from is the idea we need salvation. See, and not the words of Paul earlier in this letter, still so apt when he said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. And not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart Human wisdom won't be overcome by clever words. It will be overcome by stewards of Jesus Christ performing the symphony of God's love, the divine folly of the gospel. And we read that this movement, doesn't it, requires us to be found to be trustworthy. That word trustworthy has a double meaning. It requires, firstly, that they would be faithful. In this context, a steward would be faithful to God. But also they would live a trustworthy life. After all, there's nothing much worse to have to listen to, is there, than the deafening sounds of hypocrisy or the clanging sounds, symbols of false judgment. Is there... And as stewards of Jesus Christ, we're called to be faithful and trustworthy. If you like, to make it really topical, to play the melody of the new song of the, what was it, reborn pop group, Abba. I still have faith in you. To say to our Abba, our Father, our Dad, I still have faith in you, Lord. Likewise, it's to do what we would not expect a pharmacist to do. You see, we would not expect to take that prescription that the doctor has given us into the pharmacist and then to suddenly find that the pharmacist decides to instead give you their own creation. It's so easy to do, isn't it, in today's world to kind of just change the gospel a little bit that might make us feel more comfortable. Everyone's theology is orthodox until it impacts upon their behavior. Steward of Jesus Christ dispenses the symphony of God's love by living faithfully to the gospel of the God in a trustworthy manner. And when we do that, we just play this sweet melody, this sweet melody of the fourth symphony of the Bible. 
And then here's the final part. We read that a steward of Jesus Christ dispenses the symphony of God's love by knowing that ultimately we're accountable to God. You see, just as in Jesus' day, an earthly steward would be accountable to his master. And just like a pharmacist is accountable to their professional body, stewards of Jesus Christ, we're ultimately accountable to God. For we read in verse 4 that we'll be judged by the Lord. And then in verse 5, Paul alludes to this great judgment at the end of time after Jesus returns to the earth and books being opened. You see, many today don't like the idea of a final judgment. But there has to be one. If God is just and God is good. Because the world needs to be put to rights. Because of the folly we see displayed on our screens every day. What we know of this judgment in this passage is this. We know it will come at the time that God determines, not us. Because his timing is perfect. That we'll be judged according to the melody we've played of that sweet symphony of God's wisdom. Of learning his wisdom. Of how we've been faithful as a steward to the one who is the impartial and faithful judge. The judge who will bring to light all the things now hidden in darkness and who will disclose the purposes of the heart. We often then go on a downer. But did you notice what the final sentence of the reading says? Then each one of us will receive commendation from God. For now we receive the commendation. For now we play to receive the commendation of the, if you like, what Paul calls the imperishable garland. Later in this letter. To hear the words of praise as we receive, as he would say to Timothy, the crown of righteousness. You see, a steward of Jesus Christ dispenses the symphony of God's love by knowing ultimately they're accountable to God. When we do that, we play this fourth movement of this symphony of God's love. It reminded me of a film that came out 25 years ago called Mr. Holland Opus. In the film, it depicts the life of Mr. Holland, a touring musician who always dreams of being a composer and writing a symphony but never has enough time to make it happen. So he decides to take a job as a music teacher in a high school, thinking that it will give him more time to compose and write that symphony. But he finds the opposite is the case. And the film straddles through 25 years of his life. His struggles. His struggles with the high school establishment. His struggles with his inability to write that symphony. Not to mention the difficulties he has to overcome in teaching and helping his students learn their instruments. As time passes, and with Mr. Holland approaching retirement, he finds the school board, in their wisdom, have cut music from the curriculum, and actually he'll be out of a job before he retires. 
The closing scenes of the film take us to his final day at the school. He leaves his classroom for one final time, but instead of leaving the school, he's guided and taken by surprise to the school auditorium where he finds many of his former colleagues and students in the audience. He's then invited onto the stage by his first pupil that he ever taught to play an instrument, who over the years has grown up to become the state governor. She knows of Mr. Holland's dream to write a symphony which he's never managed to achieve. So the pupil, now governor, thanks Mr. Holland for his dedication. She then picks up her own instrument and invites Mr. Holland to conduct one final time, in her own words, his own composition, saying, there is not a life in this room who you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. The challenge before each of us this morning, as stewards of Jesus Christ, is to be ready. Ready on that time when we give an account to hear our master composer, dearest God, say, well done, good and faithful steward. You played the fourth movement of our symphony. You played the melodies and notes of our opus. You are the music of our life. So may we learn as stewards the wisdom of God to be faithful and trustworthy and accountable to him. To play the music of the fourth movement. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.